Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Matt Homan, the founder of Filament, a company that designs and facilitates virtual and in-person meetings. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm great, Ari. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's a privilege to speak with you. So tell us about your background and the genesis of Filament. I'm a recovering lawyer and was an early blogger. So I was writing about innovation, creativity, client service, those sorts of things, probably almost 20 years ago. And I remember sitting around after a traditional conference with a bunch of folks. It was three in the morning and we were having the best conversation we'd had all conference about the future of law practice things that we would have never otherwise made the agenda because they weren't lowest common denominator interesting to everybody. I asked, I said, what if we came back and could do this all day instead of when we're all about to fall asleep? We built this conference called LexThink. And that first LexThink conference was invitation only. There was no PowerPoint. It was designed for small group conversation and collaboration. We had people ask for invites we would have never had the courage to invite. And very few of us, I think, had the opportunity to pinpoint a single thing in our career that changed everything. But for me, that was the beginning of a long journey of facilitating work for people who were at LexThink and said, hey, can you do this for my company or my law firm? Moving from there into creative consulting, using visuals, thinking differently about how people collaborate and engage, using different kinds of tools and techniques, even including the arts to facilitate smart people thinking together better. So over the last 10 years where I've been involved in the work that I'm doing right now at Filament, and even before that, working with law firms, legal technology companies to do retreats, to help them map out products, to think about strategy, to innovate more effectively. That's been a path that when I look back, is pretty straightforward, but during it was a jumbled mess of terrified spaghetti. Why do you think people ultimately attend in-person events? Why they attend them and why the organizers think they attend them are two different things. I think organizers tend to believe that we have to have this event to teach people things. That may have been true 15 or 20 years ago. It was the only place to get curated content about your industry that was fresher than the book that might come out a year or two from now. But with the rise of social media, certainly if I want to know what an author is thinking about, I can follow them on Twitter. I can read their blog. If I want to know what they had for lunch, I can follow their Instagram. Even if I want to know how they think deeply about stuff and being pushed by folks in what might have been traditional panels, you have podcasts like this one. So for the longest time, people have gone to meetings or conferences for two things. One is for insight and two is for connection. I think because insight is now available on demand for free almost everywhere, we've leaned more towards connection. Where else do you get to go to an event where all of your peers who have the exact same problems or challenges you have. The people who are building products to solve those challenges are all displaying or sponsoring. So I think we go to conferences now, and most of us, it's always been a significant reason why we went in the past, is to engage with others like us. And yet most conferences are built for information delivery and not necessarily insight discovery or serendipity. That's going to be a significant challenge moving forward. What's the difference between a memorable event experience and one that is forgettable? It's different for everybody. I will say, I don't know how many people look back with fondness at the tote bag they got when they checked in or the binder of content or the thumb drive full of presentations. Most people, when they say, I'm coming from a conference, 
I want to get a good nugget of information. I think that's a cop-out. I think those good nuggets of information are ubiquitous in there for the taking without having to get in an airplane, rent a hotel room. So what people really think what's memorable are the people they meet. Like I think about ABA's tech show was probably the most meaningful conference for me. It was where I met my first tribe of charismatic deviants of people who were thinking differently about technology, who were talking about paperless offices 25 years ago. That for me, the memory of a conference isn't the content it contains, but the people I engage with and potentially the problems I solve and the tribe that I build that not only lasts while I'm there, but that continues on past the conference. And then I go back next year to see him again. Can you replicate that memorable experience online? You can a little bit. We have become collaborative creatures online before this crisis in bits and pieces and now certainly by demand. It requires a ton more intention because for so many conferences and meetings, that connection happened accidentally. It happens in the hallways. It certainly doesn't happen when you're sitting shoulder to shoulder facing the same direction watching someone read a PowerPoint. All of that accidental connection was really happening without much intention on the part of organizers. Even if you think about the traditional networking reception at most events, music is blaring, alcohol is flowing, and really uncomfortable for introverts and others who might not want to be around a bunch of drunk people. The real question is how might you be far more intentional about building the hallway or the engagement time? Sometimes that's small breakout groups. Others, it's building better ways to collaborate asynchronously even after the event is over. It might be pushing challenges out to folks. It's giving them different ways to consume the information and unpack it with others. Those are all things that you can do in person. Not very many people do. That's how we've built our entire business is we're effectively a PowerPoint-free meeting business. We build small group collaboration. We focus on getting smart people to think together better, all of which can be done online. It just takes a bit more effort. And frankly, it takes a bit more attention from the attendees. How would you characterize the filament experience? Until this crisis, our fundamental working theory of events is we wanted to do in person only things people could do in person. We didn't want it to be about talking at folks. We wanted people to collaborate and engage in small groups using tools and exercises, challenges, even something as simple as worksheets to get them to focus together because you're then upping the wisdom of the room. You're making it safer for introverts to engage. You're honoring multiple voices speaking at once versus one person at a time. So at Filament, we've been really successful of building those in-person engagements and they scale quite readily. You can do that in a thousand person ballroom as long as the table's around and not too big. Online, a handful of tools really support that as well. It's the Zoom breakout rooms, just as one simple example. It's using collaborative online tools, something as simple as a Google slide with a worksheet on it allows people to dive in and collaborate. We've been using Mural as a tool as well, which is fundamentally a big post-it board with room for post-it notes. They're all virtually and collaborative with multiple people at once. But the real question then is, if you know that people are going to be coming to an event and engaging virtually, it's less about managing the tools and more about managing their attention. We have a limited amount of attention we can pay online in these days. We have kids who are around. We've got lesson plans that still need to be worked on with teachers. We have dogs barking, mailmen, and women coming and dropping off our mail and our animals going crazy. So in order to duplicate these kinds of experiences online, you can't do eight hours at once. When people are here together, the energy feeds on one another, it builds, and you can manage a room full of people for eight or even 10 hours at once. 
online it changes dramatically. And now you're thinking, how might we do this slice of this work for the next 90 minutes and then provide enough break time for people to process and we come back tomorrow for another 90 minutes or later this afternoon for something different. Then building that collaboration spaces where people don't all have to be present at once so they can continue to live their lives and engage with the rest of the world. Because if you're booking an eight-hour event online and expecting people to click in and stay there all day, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Because while their browser might be open, they're doing a million other things. What recommendations do you have for others? You mentioned law firms, legal tech companies who need to move their events into a virtual environment. You've got to stop thinking about translating an in-person event one-to-one online. We've seen this with our meetings just in general. People's in-person meetings are generally pretty terrible. They're not well-run. There's not always agendas. People are disengaged. The first six weeks of this crisis, we've tried to port, I think everyone has, their in-person meetings to online versions of the exact same thing. I think that's a risk for conference organizers, event organizers as well. So the real question is, what do we want to deliver to our attendees that they can't get if they don't attend this conference? What are some unique ways we might be able to deliver it? And how different can we make those? If I see another conference that just is a bunch of talking heads, we have Zoom fatigue that might have been interesting and novel six weeks ago. It's not anymore. Fundamentally, and probably in a really weird way, the bar for events of what customers expect is not being driven by the technology, it's being driven by their boredom with the status quo. And it feels like because we're looking at the same screen and using the same tools for every meeting we do, whether it's a Zoom conference with our team or we're trying to dial into a Zoom for a big conference, the bar is moving faster and it really becomes about how you position that experience as something different versus just the technology you think about using. Is there anything you prefer about a virtual event over something in person? And I recognize I'm asking someone who has a 20,000 square foot space in downtown St. Louis. What I've really liked about the pivot to virtual meetings is that it gives you a whole nother set of problems to solve and ways to engage your audience in some ways for longer periods of time, even though they might be broken up. So if I can say to someone here in the room, We've got a day to focus on someone's strategy. And that's a little snippet, but you're not going to build an entire strategy out in just a day. But if the day pivots in some way, there's only so much I can do to recover. Something changes, uh, circumstances change, or even just the internal dynamic of the group. Once the day starts rolling, it's hard to pull it back from that initial plan. There's bits and pieces of things you can do. But the moment you're thinking about that exact same strategy plan in what might be four or five or six 90-minute sessions, you can really reset after everyone and make sure that the next one is exactly right for what that group needs. So it requires a lot more work, but it gives you a lot more opportunity to customize and change and engage with your audience and giving them exactly what they need versus what you thought they needed at the beginning of the day. We found that a really valuable experience. Like I say, it's way more work to do the virtual, even if the tools are easy, but the amount of work you can do in the same amount of hours, even if it might be spread out over days, probably feels like 50 to 75% more because you can also push them to think and engage on their own. So when they come to that conversation that might be two more days from now, they're far more ready than if we introduced the concept 60 minutes ago. How do you see legal events evolving? I love legal events and my career started in them. I see about half of them continuing to exist. 
Legal events have been really behind the curve with some exceptions in how they're delivered. Many of these conferences look the same today as they looked 10 years ago. The format has changed, the projectors have gotten smaller, but nearly everything is exactly the same. I see a lot of them disappearing. I think that we're seeing travel budgets cut and the pivot to virtual is really difficult and you've built an entire organization for many of these events that is designed to deliver a slightly better version of the same thing over and over and over again. So as we pivot to virtual, I think a lot of them are not going to make the pivot past this first version. Then if we come back to in-person, I think people will realize I don't need to come to that event after all. And they'll certainly get more pushback on their budget from their bosses and organizations. So I think this is going to be a really dark area for events, period. The in-person event has to change dramatically. And if you can't say with 100% confidence that you need to get on this plane because what we're going to do here in person you can only do here in person. If it's just presentation after presentation after presentation, I don't think people are going to come anymore. That's sad to say, but I think it's going to be a real challenge for everyone in the events industry, not just legal. So where is there room for optimism? I know that the last answer was pretty dark and depressing, but in all of these situations, it gives people who really want to innovate, not only the permission to innovate, but the imperative to do so. So if I'm someone who is building a recurring event that's always been in person, this is my chance to finally do some of those things that we've always been wanting to do, but success has kept us from trying to change things too quickly. There's a massive opportunity for a handful of people to come out of this a thousand times better than they are today. You've got an audience who's craving in-person engagement. And I think this first set of in-person events, once they happen and it's safe to travel and fly, will do fine. But if you really have ever thought about pushing and thinking differently about your in-person event, now is going to be the time to be building that event because you have a real opportunity because those that survive through this are going to be delivering incredible value to the attendees. But those that are trying to pretend that it never happened and we're going to go back to the way it was before, those will be the ones who might over three or four years see some decrease. But if you want to innovate and think differently about events, now's the time you'll never have more permission and never have more engagement from people who are looking to do something new. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Matt Homan, the founder of Filament, a company that designs and facilitates virtual and in-person meetings. Matt, thanks so very much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.